Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, we continue our Earth Week coverage. We focus on one of the early and militant environmental organizations, Earth First. In particular, we focus on the struggle to stop logging in Shawnee Forest in Southern Illinois. Activists there managed to stop logging for 17 years, but it has now restarted and they are now on a campaign to protect the forest by establishing Shawnee as a national park and as a climate preserve. They're hoping that there would be incentives to protect the forest rather than logging the trees. Here is a clip from Shawnee Showdown, a film about their struggle. I spent 30 years of my life trying to keep trees standing that other people were trying to cut down. And, I mean, I have trees here. I, I could make tens of thousands of dollars off my trees, and I, I wouldn't even consider it. The climate situation is going to get so dire, and I think it's around the corner where people will be paid by governments or industries to not cut their forests. You know, you don't want to subsidize the ones that cut the trees. You want to subsidize the people that grow the trees. And this is public land and it's not in the best interest of the public to log it off. There you go. And our guests uh, today include uh, Aaron Langell, who is the co-founder of Global Justice Ecology Project, uh, Steve Taylor, who is the press secretary for Global Justice Ecology Project, and John Wallace, retired public land manager and volunteer and land steward and the public outreach coordinator for Shawnee Forest Defense. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. A UK judge has ordered the extradition of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange to the US to face espionage charges and up to 175 years in prison for publishing classified documents, including possible war crimes in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Prosecutors say that WikiLeaks founder unlawfully helped Army intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning steal classified diplomatic cables and military files that WikiLeaks Leaks later published, putting lives at risk. He faces 17 espionage charges and one computer misuse charge. Assange's supporters say he's entitled to First Amendment freedom of speech protections and that his prosecution will have chilling impacts on the First Amendment. Here's Assange's wife and former lawyer, Stella Assange. You need to keep your eyes on this case. Uh, today was a formality, but I still felt sick to my stomach about what happened today. A magistrate signing an order to send Julian to the United States. The UK has no obligation to extradite Julian Assange to the United States. In fact, it is required by its international obligations to stop this extradition. 
The decision will now move to UK's Home Secretary Preeti Patel for his approval. Assange's defense has until May 18th to make submissions. A steel plant in the besieged city of Mariupol has become the last main stronghold as Russia continues its attacks in a city that's left remaining residents without water and electricity. Russia's deadline for the some 1,000 Ukrainian military service members and other holdouts to evacuate the plant expired with no one stepping out. Russia said it would offer a humanitarian corridor from the plant for those wanting to flee and has now extended its deadline to later today. Ukrainian officials say Russia attacked the plant with bunker buster bombs and hundreds of civilians are sheltering under the steel plant. The head of Ukraine's negotiating team accused world leaders of having blood on their hands as the world watches the murder of children online and remains silent. Meanwhile, the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres is calling for a four-day humanitarian pause in Ukraine for the Holy Week of Easter starting Thursday to Easter Sunday. I call on Russians and Ukrainians to silence the guns and forge a path to safety for so many at immediate risk. The humanitarian pause would provide the necessary conditions to meet two crucial imperatives. First, safe passage of all civilians willing to leave the areas of current and expected confrontation in coordination with the International Committee of the Red Cross. Second, beyond humanitarian operations already taking place, a pause will allow for the safe delivery of life-saving humanitarian aid to people in the hardest hit areas such as Mariupol, Kherson, Donetsk and Luhansk. The U.N. estimates more than 12 million people are in need of humanitarian assistance, with more than a third of them in Donetsk, Kherson, Luhansk, and Mariupol. Gatetis says that number will likely increase to more than 15 million in the coming days. A new poll finds a majority of the U.S. population supports a mask requirement for people traveling on airplanes and other shared transportation. The poll by the Associated Press Center for Public Affairs Research finds 56 percent of Americans favor requiring people on planes, trains and public transportation to wear masks. Twenty four percent were opposed. Twenty percent said they're neutral. A group of Israeli ultranationalists say it's determined to go ahead with a provocative flag-waving march around predominantly Palestinian areas of Jerusalem's old city. The group indicated it would ignore a police ban of an event that served as one of the triggers of last year's Israel-Gaza war. Confrontations could further ignite an already tense atmosphere in the city during the Jewish holiday of Passover and the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. A small group of Palestinian protesters threw rocks at police while hundreds of Jews Jewish visitors entered the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, which Jews call the Temple Mount. The Gaza-based Hamas movement said Israel would bear full responsibility for the repercussions if it allows such a march to approach Muslim holy sites. Fire season has already started in the West with the blaze in Arizona, with winds that kicked up a towering wall of flames tearing through two dozen structures and forcing the evacuation of more than 700 homes. And today is 420. A new study finds legalizing recreational marijuana could lower demand for prescription drugs through state Medicaid programs. Researchers in New York and Indiana published their report and the results 
quote, suggest substitution away from prescription drugs and potential cost savings for state Medicaid programs. The reports called recreational cannabis legalizations associated with reductions in prescription drug utilization among Medicaid enrollees. It was published last week in the journal Health Economics. I'm Christina Onestead reporting for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and we're continuing our coverage of this Earth Week. Earth First is a radical environmental advocacy group that originated in southwestern United States. It was founded in 1980, I think, by about five guys. Its goal was to put Earth first and to take no compromise in defense of Mother Earth. Today, they are Earth First groups in many countries around the world. Three decades ago, in the summer of 1990, activists from Earth First and their supporters from the surrounding community occupied the Fairview Timber Sale site in Shawnee Forest, which is located in southern Illinois. They were there for 79 days using their bodies to block the logging equipment and using legal strategies to challenge the harvesting of the lumber in court. This historic action has come to be known as the Shawnee Showdown, a relatively small group of activists, they were successful in stopping commercial logging in the Shawnee National Forest in Southern Illinois for 17 years. But in 2013, the Forest Service won a motion to lift the injunction. Currently, thousands of acres in Shawnee are scheduled for logging operations. Shawnee is managed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and they do allow logging on public lands. And then they sell the wood to logging companies at a price that is below market value. The fight to save Shawnee continues today with the most recent attempt by organizers to transfer the Shawnee National Forest out of the U.S. Department of Agriculture's control and into the hands of the U.S. Department of Interior with a proposal that would establish Shawnee as a national park and designate it as the nation's first climate preserve. Let us go now to give some background before we welcome our guests to this. And this is a clip from a brand new film called Shawnee Showdown. The land we live on shares a boundary with the Shawnee National Forest. On our land and this part of the Shawnee live some very old trees. Oak, maple, shagbark hickory, tulip poplar, and beech. And some are so big I can't reach my arms around them. The most recent science tells us that many big trees serve as no trees providing nourishment to seedlings and even other tree species through networks of mycorrhizal fungi. And at the same time, they also sequester carbon at a greater rate than younger trees. On the land we live on, these older big trees are protected. This is not the case in the Shawnee National Forest. The Shawnee National Forest includes seven wilderness areas, natural areas, steep ravines, swamps, bottomlands, meadows, windswept cliffs, the Shawnee Hills, and the Ozark Plateau. The Shawnee is home to many irreplaceable areas of biological significance. 
fractured and fragmented by private agricultural and forested land, the National Forest crosses the bottom of the state from the eastern to the western borders. During the 1800s, travelers crossing this land described the deep forest as dark, depressing, and confining due to the size of trees that stood over a hundred feet high. The remaining indigenous peoples of the Illini Confederation living on the banks of the Big Muddy River at Sand Ridge Reservation were pushed even further westward across the Mississippi. Incoming settlers claiming the land in southern Illinois created a more timber-based economy and the forest disappeared. The land was farmed until it could no longer sustain these communities. That was from the film, uh, Shawnee Showdown. I would now like to welcome our panelists. This is a special show. They will stay with us for the full hour. We'll have a special round table. These are all deep ecologists. And I'd like to welcome, first of all, Aaron Landiel, who became involved in the movement for social justice in the 1960s in opposition to the Vietnam War. He trained as a photojournalist at the International Center of Photography in Manhattan. He got involved in environmental activism in the 1980s, and in 1992, he co-founded the International Native Forest Network at their convening conference in Tasmania, Australia. In 1998, Arin founded Action for Community and Ecology in the regions of Central America. He led numerous delegations to Nicaragua and Southeast Mexico. In 2003, in September of that year, he co-founded the Global Justice Ecology Project, for which he is the co-director and strategist. Other organizations he helped to found include Climate Justice Now during the UN Climate Conference in Bali, Indonesia in 2007, Climate Justice Action in Copenhagen, Denmark in 2008, and later that year, the North American Mobilization for Climate Justice. He uses his media and community communication skills to link activists with mainstream and alternative media. He is a member of the International Federation of Journalists and the National Writers Union. Arin, welcome. Thank you very much, Margaret. How are you today? I'm good. And of course, Arin, I'm a little hoarse today, so pardon the voice, but uh, so happy to partner with Global Justice Ecology Project for both our weekly Earth Minute as well as our weekly Earth Watch. I would like to welcome Steve Taylor. Steve has a bachelor's degree in physics, a master's degree in mathematics. He's worked as an instructor at the college and university level. Serving on the negotiating team, he was instrumental in establishing the adjunct union at St. Louis Community College. Steve Taylor won the Leo and K. Dre Award for leadership from the Missouri Coalition for the Environment for his founding and work of the Times Beach Action, which monitored and exposed fraud surrounding the remediation and incineration of waste from 27 Missouri dioxin sites. Steve began his environmental work as an activist who fought clear cutting of hardwood stands in the Shawnee National Forest in the early 1990s. Steve, welcome. Well, thank you for having me here. And I'd like to welcome John Wallace, longtime environmental activist and forest defender. He's based in 
Southern Illinois. He was one of the key people in the 1990s Shawnee National Forest occupation to oppose logging. John Wallace, who was a tree sitter, put his body on the line in front of bulldozers. He's trained himself to do legal work involved with forest defense, even though he doesn't have a law degree. John also writes papers and gives testimony before various government agencies. His work has had just a tremendous and important and historic impact. John Wallace, welcome. Margaret, it's it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Okay, so let us start, and maybe we'll start with you, John, to give our audience a sense of the history uh, and the importance of the Shawnee. John. Well, the Shawnee was a... uh is a national forest. It was founded in 1939, and uh, much of the land was degraded, farmland that was replanted in trees. Certain parts of it are very unique and have some remnants of old growth forest in them. The Shawnee has grown. It is. It spans the southern tip of Illinois. Illinois is a very long state. If you imagine the triangle at the bottom, the Shawnee stretches across that triangle of land from the Mississippi River on the west to the Ohio River on the east. It intermingles with the Ozark Plateau, the Shawnee Hills Natural Division, the Coastal Plain, which is the, the cypress swamps that are uh, more commonly found in Louisiana and Florida, and also the Mississippi. Mississippi floodplains. So it has quite a bit of diversity in the Shawnee. And in the 1980s, the USDA Forest Service began logging the Shawnee by using a method of logging called clear cutting. And it wasn't long before local neighbors began to organize to uh, stop that and try to try to prevent it from happening. When that John, took John we're going to get into in, in more detail about that campaign in particular, but I do want want to have Steve and Aaron weigh in on just the important history and significance of Shawnee to the surrounding community, but including Indigenous people. Now, from what I have read from information that you have put out, there were financial incentives from the 1930 Cuts and Vandenberg Act, which designated that most timber sale receipts from selling off the public trees remain with the local forest service. That's that's a problem in and of itself. But Aaron, actually, let's go to you next, because we know Global Justice Ecology Project, you partner quite a bit with Indigenous peoples, not only in what is called the United States or referred to as Turtle Island, but also Canada and south of the border. And tell us your thoughts on, on what you know about the importance of the Shawnee historically to Indigenous people. Well, just to put it in the context with the Shawnee, I think that I've been working on uh, international and global issues for quite some time now. And I think people don't realize how important what is in their community is so important, which is what the Shawnee is, the people there and people throughout the United States and people throughout the world need to have the Shawnee forest. It's a very beautiful place. Recently, an elder indigenous person passed away from that community, Barney Bush, and he, uh, many people, 
people kind of grieve that death. He was really well known. And the Shawnee, I mean, there's so much that surrounds it that's steeped in history of the Shawnee. There's also the Trail of Tears that is not too far away from the Shawnee and uh, all the Cherokee and others that were herded by the United States military and sent to Oklahoma and other places. Trail of Tears, Tears of Death. And so I, th- I think we all have to realize, too, that, you know, some of the work that we were doing was in solidarity with indigenous people. When the blockade started in, in the Shawnee, so we were in solidarity with those actions while we were down in the Shawnee, trying to bring the, the Shawnee to a level that we were all understanding political issues outside of the Shawnee and how important they were in getting the Shawnee out to other people, which we did, I think, very well, because one of the people that was very dear to all three of us was Judy Berry, who was injured in a pipe bomb. There was a huge thing in California of trying to save the Redwoods. Judy was an organizer for Earth First and the Industrial Workers of the World and a very lead organizer out there that brought the environmentalists together with workers. And that scares people when you bring those two sections together. But to make a long story short, and the point about bringing local to the outside world that we we were in solidarity with Redwood Summer and people from Redwood Summer were watching what we were doing. We made it a national and international issue of what was going on in the Shawnee. And I think that was just really important to galvanize the whole summer down in the Shawnee. Right. I'm so glad, Aaron, you mentioned Judy Barry. We have covered on this show a while back on Sojourner Truth, a film about her and spoke with someone who was actually in the car with her when a bomb exploded with the government and accusing them of bombing themselves, which is clearly so very outrageous. Bringing you into this discussion now, Steve, we do know, Aaron made mention of the historic Trail of of Tears. Now, in some of the documents, John and Aaron and, and perhaps others have helped to write, they talk about the fact that it is believed that more than a thousand Cherokee people perished and were buried in this part of Illinois between the rivers. So Shawnee has that significant as well, and also the sand cave in Shawnee, the largest sandstone cave in North America was used by indigenous people over a thousand years ago. And also there are some walls called these six stone forts that were established by indigenous people 1500 years ago. So I mean, Shawnee, deep in the culture, significant spiritual practices of indigenous people. But Steve, what is not very much known at all, and in fact, I really didn't know about that, was that there was a pre-Civil War African-American community known as Miller Grove, which is now part of Shawnee. And that was inhabited up until 1911. So uh, Steve, just give us your thoughts on the significance of, of Shawnee, not only in terms of protecting the trees, but also this precious history and culture and a sacred site of the burial of all of these people, Cherokee people from the Trail of Tears. Steve, your thoughts on this? I have to confess, I am not a great Shawnee historian in that sense. Although, okay. you know, I do know, of, I do know of the history that you refer in Missouri, Illinois, as everywhere else, there was a great, great genocide of Native Americans. And what did draw me personally, I was 24, 25 years old at the time. It was clear that this 
forest was special in the sense that it was in the public trust. And I had a vague awareness, people more familiar than I, you know, clued me into those things. But going down there as a young man, it was just clear that the forest itself, how it stood, and that our current culture back then even, you know, was had no respect for what that forest was culturally, environmentally. Back then, we were talking about climate change, you know, the uh, deep ecologists, as you refer to us, we were talking about climate change and how we needed to preserve forests for the future. And here we are decades later, and there's, it seems like there's more climate awareness, but we're still wanting now to return to the Shawnee and to cut it once more. Right. Thank you so much. We're going to take our station break now, a short station break, but stay with us because our guests are going to stay with us and we're going to continue to discuss this incredible struggle that happened that stopped the locking of trees for 17 years, but also what is happening right now. The next, after the station break, we'll be discussing the clear cutting, the protests that they did and how they won. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Mama by beautiful chorus. This is Morgan Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. This show is a special, it's a one hour special and part of our coverage of Earth Week. And we have three guests who are our panelists today, Aaron Langell, John Wallace, and also Steve Taylor. If you are a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us on Facebook and check out our website at sotrueradio.org where we have a community calendar and a lot more information that we don't necessarily get to on air. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at sotrueradio. We're also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And in the U.S., we would like to give a shout out to all of our SoundCloud listeners in Southern Illinois. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the U.K. We are now going to return to our coverage on this incredible struggle that happened to save the forest in Shawnee. Their attempts now to make it into a national park as well as a climate preserve. There was a tremendous struggle that halted the logging of trees in Shawnee for 17 years. And our guests today were all part of, were all involved in that struggle. Aaron Nangel, John Wallace, as well as Steve Taylor. There is now a new film about that struggle. And we're going to go to a clip from that film now where talk about clear cutting the damage to the forest and the protests. And we'll discuss all this with our guests. Let's go to that clip right now. I remember at one point before the log trucks actually came in walking down the logging road and realizing that probably the best thing for our cause would be for Fairview to to fall you know and it made me cry so many people put so much effort out I think about the day that they came in (laughs) that was agony after having spent 90 days defending it and then to have it wiped out Despite the tears and disappointment of environmental activists, 
A Missouri timber company today trucks tons of hardwood out of the Shawnee National Forest. They belong to us, not to those people who are taking them away to do God knows what with them. And they belong to everybody, including people like this child right here who will never get to see them because they're gone. But in spite of the protests, the business at hand for the East Perry Lumber Company continues. Truckloads of trees harvested from the Fairview area continue to make their way to the company's plant in Frona. Stan and Marvin Petzl, who manage the operation, say their company is doing what it's contracted to do with the Forest Service, clear-cut more than 100 acres of trees. They counter arguments of the protesters by saying the timber is growing faster than it's being harvested. In clear-cutting, they cut everything down. It's the easiest, it's the most economic, the cheapest way for a logger to get logs out. The purpose of this cut <clears throat> is to regenerate the, the forest here. Uh, these were bigger trees, older trees, about uh, 100 years old. It not just kills the tree that, that um, was cut, it, it damages other trees on the way down, on the way out, um, as, as the logs are skidded out of the forest. It damages the forest floor. The leaf litter is, is disturbed. All of the humus is dug up by these, these massive tires on the log skidders and the dragging the log up. I mean, they cut these beautiful 120-year-old white oaks and they were selling the timber to Anheuser-Busch to use for pallets. I just thought that was so nuts. One of our phrases from Earth First was, Earth first, profit last. So I'm not really in favor of profit, but just to know that it was sold below cost and still is just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and that last voice you heard, Renee Cook, who was part of that occupation. But John, we're going to start with you. We heard your voice. You were making me cry, John, watching this film. And you were part of the original group of activists involved in the Dawny action. And at the time that it happened, 79 days, the longest occupation in Earth first history. Tell us clearly a lot of emotion, John, as you think back on it and, and the moment that on day 79 when the trucks came in and you not only were a tree sitter, but I think it was you that I saw a photo of several of you buried in mud. I mean, you all did all kinds of actions during the 79 days. John, give us a bird's eye view of what you did, what that was like. Well, uh, Margaret, spending, I was arrested and, and hauled away on day 77 of the 79 day in camp and uh, spending that much time in the woods trying to protect an area we had to do a number of things to keep our spirits up to generate more public interest and to continue to get the word out and the pressure put on the uh, USDA Forest Service and the logging company and so we came up with with different approaches actually I was not one of the people that buried themselves up to their necks in the middle of the logging road but that was a technique we also had several hoedowns in the hardwood that were concerts that were solar powered. We had uh, musical entertainment and speeches about what was going on. We had a uh, petition drive that resulted in almost 16,000 signatures opposing commercial logging, sent letters, wrote letters, and we also uh, used a lot of humor. You know, when the 
the the Forest Service came out to the site, we would uh, dance around them, again, use music, sing songs, and all these things were getting media attention. And so uh, that was real important. Of course, the whole goal was to prevent the logging from occurring before the court so that the court could issue a decision on the, the motion for a uh, an injunction, a temporary injunction. And on day 79, we actually succeeded in getting that injunction. And so that ended up being a great success, but at a, also a great cost. The uh, log trucks went in, you know, trees fell for a couple days. People were arrested. One individual actually was even run over by the timber buyer that uh, went in before the log trucks and the skidders did. And he ran over one of the protesters. Um, yeah, it was uh, uh, incredibly um, uh, heartbreaking, difficult task, but trying to keep those trees standing was a, a very important uh, component of what we were doing. And in the end, before it was actually cut, we actually did lose those trees. We got a year-long injunction. But in the end, the entire U.S. congressional delegation for Illinois wrote the Forest Service and asked them to go in, to stop and wait, give the court system more time. We actually appealed it to the Supreme Court that eventually failed, but they were in the process of doing a new management plan. And we asked them, or the um, congressional delegation asked the Forest Service to hold off. But the U.S. Forest Service and, and East Perry Lumber Company said no, they were going in. And uh, just incredible. You know, Steve, you and I first met, as, as well as John, when the Sojourner Truth team, we were at a convergence that was held in Shawnee National Forest. I was there along with the previous assistant producer, Romero Funes, to that event. And I could tell you, Steve, the moment I got off that van that brought us from the airport and stood among those trees, something just took hold of me. And it seems as though it's never, it's never let go. There is just something about Shawnee, but likely in forests around the world, one has the same kind of reaction trees, so important to our ability to breathe and so much more. Steve, tell us a bit about what drew you to that struggle and what it was like for you just surviving those 79 days. I mean, that's, that's really, you know, quite a long time. Just tell us your thoughts on that and then we'll have our in way in as well, Steve. What drew me to it? Well, I, I'd have to say John Wallace was the first person who said, hey, there's this fight in the Shawnee. I was uh, working with Oren, John, and others in St. Louis with Earth First. We were working on projects such as something in St. Louis about Forest 44. We were uh, doing protests around Monsanto. We had been in communication with Judy Berry and people in California. Actually, there was some thought amongst us to be going to California for Redwood Summer. John one day said to me, Steve, they're going to be cutting. Why don't we go and sit in some trees? And this was before the actual Shawnee showdown. And I think uh, we went and on the same day, purchased rope from an outfitter and learned how to repel, got repelling instructions in a parking lot. And then and then we're down in the Shawnee that evening, uh, you know, planning a tree sit and doing it. Surprisingly, we lived through that. But I guess we were learning things as we were going along because there wasn't really a tradition of this in the Midwest. There wasn't a lot of tree sits or logging road blockades. I grew up in a family that uh, my dad was what they called back then a conservationist. You know, he he worked uh, to stop the Merrimack Dam. He uh, worked for scenic rivers and things like that. So I, I came from an environmental family. 
But what drew me to this was basically the idea to Earth First overall was the idea that there had been too much compromise, that we were losing land and, and land like the Shawnee in backroom deals with the Sierra Club and lobbyists in D.C., that we actually needed to start putting our bodies on the line. And what drew me to the Shawnee was, you know, an opportunity. They were going in. There was already a lawsuit filed. Uh, there was had been numerous uh, legal actions. And there was tremendous community support. But you're right. Once you get there, it is a, it is a very, very special place. Once you're there, you really, I think, I mean, I still feel an attachment to that forest and and the people I, I lived there with. Unfortunately, I did not make it the whole 79 days because I was arrested on day 58. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So, you know, the whole thing was somewhat of a cat and mouse operation. Um, They want the Forest Service wanted to clear us out, you know, they were always sort of probing, probing us, you know, coming in with, you know, spotlights or or, or, if I remember sound reinforcement, you know, close officially closing the forest. There was, uh, you know, statements that they were going to come in and arrest us, you know, the next day, you know, they were always seeing how many our presence, I think, would fluctuate between 20 people to 150 people. So it was sort of a cat and mouse game. And on day 58, they came in and there was someone who was locked onto a gate, some earth moving equipment went went around them. And so, you know, I, I, I stood in I stood in front of the earth moving equipment and I chose my place well. I chose it on sort of like the boundary between state and federal property. So they had to spend about an hour conferring who had the jurisdiction to, to arrest me, which actually did come up in my federal court case. They had a, a satellite pictures and surveying experts, you know, to, to, to figure out if they did have the authority to arrest me, which we basically, you know, ceded, you know, we weren't going to argue that point. We wanted to argue, you know, a necessity defense that we were there to, we, we, we were there to uh, protect uh, the forest, uh, that uh, it needed to be done because, uh, you know, that we had that court case going on and, and soon after there was the injunction. But uh, it is a special place. I will always, always have a special place in my heart for the forest and, and, and uh, look to uh, protect it. But I also remember all my compatriots, Renee, John, Oren, Deborah Fagala, many, many, many people. I mean, if you look at that movie at the end, there's a list of uh, forest defenders, and there's a lot of them. So we can't forget them. And then also the community would bring would bring food, would bring water. Uh, there was tremendous support. So it is a special place. And I think one of the reasons we had the injunction, and I think the reason we will have the climate preserve is because that forest means so much to the people of Southern Illinois. Thank you, Steve. And, and Aaron, uh, from what Steve said, clearly you all change your plans. You are earth firsters and we're Perhaps you could tell us a little bit also about the Big River Earth first. I wanted to play a clip actually about the that describes how and what you want. But I'm afraid that our listeners will have to look out for when there's going to be a screening of a Shawnee showdown to get more details on that. Although I hope John will give us a bird's eye view because John is one is not a trained lawyer, but frankly speaking, is one of the best environmental lawyers that I know. But Aaron, uh, let us go to you then. You shifted your plans from going to uh, Redwood Forest, which was a big 
big deal. That was a national story at the time. You went uh, to Shawnee, uh, to Southern Illinois, and you you joined people like uh, Renee Cook, her sister Deb, of course, Karen, who just did also support work. So Aaron, give us a, a bit of the big picture, the significance of what you all were doing in Shawnee as it connected with the whole philosophy of Earth First and some of you all were up to with the Big River Earth First. Okay, well, Big River Earth First, actually, we were the, there was an, a local environmental group working in the Shawnee that was doing um, a lot of things before we came down. But we got a call, John got a call from one of the local people down there that had a store, Joe Glyphon, and he, uh, it's a great store, no shoes, no shirt, no problem. And he invited us down and John and I went down, we talked to Joe and, you know, we came back to, to St. Louis and talked to people in Big River Earth first and basically, and Steve and John and I decided, hey, this is what we need to be doing. And so we went down to the to, to the Shawnee's Big River and I think we were the, the people that really helped get this thing off the ground. Um, Big River uh, came out of just the, there was this national movement, Earth First, and you could, anybody could be Earth First. So we said we were Earth First. We believed in no compromise. And it was very important at the time because nothing much was happening on the environmental front. All the other organizations out there were failing miserably. And so we set the bar really high and said, okay, no compromise. And that's it. And so that is how we did it. And we did it with humor. We did it with audacity. One prior to going down there, we had a, a demo in St. Louis for Earth Day 1990. And Monsanto were the people who were putting on Earth Day. And we just thought that was atrocious. So we had a uh, a group of people came by undressed, whatever, as mud people and walked around Forest Park. And uh, it, it was fantastic. Uh, made the local NBC affiliate. Uh, one of the mud people was interviewed by the radio station and he uh, he spoke in mud language. There was an Earth First interpreter that then spoke in English to the uh, uh, interviewer and, and it just went back and forth. It was hilarious, made the top story that, that night on Earth Day. But one thing I really wanted to get across is, is the importance of, of the climate preserve because everybody's saying, okay, there's nothing to do. What can we do? Everybody's like, oh my God, there's nothing we can do about climate change. What do we do? Do we write letters? And that's not going to do much good. So uh, if people would work in their own, their own backyard and think about things like this, the climate preserve, it's not anything really radical. It's just, you know, keeping trees standing when we're in the midst of this existential crisis that has the ability to, to wipe off all species on earth. And so we're not asking for months, but it's very important if we can start this kind of thinking that, you know, save what you have around you, get it together and do it. Because otherwise what's happening, the people, the governments, the corporations, they're coming up with false solutions to climate change. And they're going in yeah. with all these things from geoengineering, from dropping aluminum from the sky, blotting out the sun, blah, blah, blah. And then we have the administration now with electric vehicles. And unfortunately, electric vehicles, they sound good, but no, they're not. They're, uh, they destroy the land with lithium. They destroy the people around the land, especially indigenous peoples in Chile. And so it's, it's a false solution. It's not climate justice. But I think if we look at what Shawnee as a climate preserve and what can people strive for, I think it's a really uh, 
it's a good step in the right direction. I mean, as Livia Campesina has said, there are thousands of ways to stop climate change, but there is no one magic bullet. And I think that's what we have to understand as a species, right. while we're a species still on this planet. We need to come together and start this kind of a thought process and get this going. I wanted to say one more thing. I'm so proud to be here right now with my three good friends. We're still alive. We're still fighting for the Shawnee. And it feels great. As Steve said, there'll always be a piece of our hearts in the Shawnee. It's never going to never going to leave us. Right. Thank you, Aaron. And John, to you, I did want to get into the campaign, the proposal to establish Shawnee as a national park and designate it as the nation's first climate preserve. And Aaron got got us started on that. We have a a few minutes uh, left. We've got, I think, about six minutes or so left, and hopefully we could fit in some final thoughts. But uh, John, you are such a key person with writing papers and and giving testimony, et cetera. Help us to understand what establishing Shawnee as a national park and as the nation's first climate preserve would do, because right now it's a national forest, right? So a lot of people don't quite get what's the difference between a national forest and a national park, for example. Why is this important uh, to do, John? And this is a campaign that you're doing right now. And I also want you to uh, share with our audience ways in which they could get more information and support the efforts you, Steve, uh, John, and Karen, and Renee, and so many others are involved in right now. Well, uh, Margaret, then, you know, I, I want to reiterate my thoughts about uh, working with. Uh, all of you all that are on this uh, on the radio right now, how important you all are to me. Um, and I'm not nearly as important as as everyone else is. I just I just happen to uh, play a role in this in this whole thing. And and we need more help. Um, but what currently the the U.S. Uh, DA, the United States Department of Agriculture, is uh, where the Forest Service is housed, which is who is responsible for our national forest. And the Department of Ag produces products. That's what they want to do, and and that is. What one of the, the problems that we have with our national forest right now, it's not just happening in the Shawnee, it's happening across this nation. And it just isn't in the best interest of the citizens of this country at this point, much less the wildlife that inhabit these areas. You know, we are just, we are watching the animals and plants just just cascading in populations. We are facing a, uh, a disaster. But right before our eyes, we're watching it. The climate is warming, yes, but but our, our, our populations, our bird populations, our insect populations, our amphibians, reptiles, mammals, they're all dropping, they're crashing. And we have to stop this mindset of, of more, better, faster. You know, uh, we've got to slow down. And the proposal that we that we floated is to to shift the the Shawnee over to the Department of the Interior Park Service away from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, where it will become the 64th national park. We have a very very few national parks in the center of the United States, but more importantly, to become a climate preserve. Yet we have this this amazing mechanism on land that surpasses any 
human-made technology, and in fact, it surpasses all the natural uh, processes for sequestering and storing carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, for getting what we have, as humans, have dumped into the atmosphere, for taking it out of the atmosphere, and that mechanism is mature forests. There's no better example of mature forests that sequester carbon than, than what are being held in the public trust right now as national forests. And it just boggles my mind that we don't have a single preserve in this country. We have 200 plus national forests, but we don't have climate preserves. And that's what we're proposing, the uh, Shawnee National Park and Climate Preserve. And uh, this would be the, the nation's first and, and hopefully not be the nation's last. If we're going to see um, this place, uh, this planet protected and, and uh, rescued from this disaster that is happening all around us, we need to start this process. And so, uh, um, you know, we're asking people to, uh, to write Congress and uh, get involved. Um, um, and you can, you can get on the Shawnee Forest Defense website at shawneeforestdefense.org and uh, um, get as information about who to write, what to do. We'll, we have a, uh, a petition. Um, you can donate. We're going to have some screenings of the, uh, 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 of the Shawnee Showdown, Keep the Forest Standing film by Cade Burcell. Um, uh, Global Justice Ecology Project and Standing Trees is, is putting on a, a virtual screening on May 11th. Um, it... it there's a lot of things people can do and please uh, that's why we're that's why we're on the radio to ask for more help right and we we just thank you john we just have about uh, about a minute or so Aaron, um the screening that global justice ecology project is doing we certainly hope uh to help to publicize that um sojourner truth is part of the work we do with global justice ecology project but i wonder if you want to give the the project's uh website and about 30 seconds or so for just a, a final word rn langell okay it's global justice ecology dot org global justice ecology dot org and just wanted to mention that the sojourner truth and ggep have been partnering together for earth watch and earth minute since 1999 during the copenhagen climate uh, talks that were a, a failure but we succeeded in getting the show going right margaret Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Thank you, Margaret, for all you've done for everybody on this show and for people behind the scenes everywhere that make all this possible for all of us. Right. Thank you. And uh, Steve, just a, a few seconds for a quick final thought from you, Steve. Well, just thank you for all the work you do, Margaret, John, Oren, and everyone else who wasn't mentioned on the show today that was at the Shawnee in the 1990s and forests around the country throughout the 90s and, and, and today, through today. Thank you for your hard work. Right. And I do quickly want to lift up um, uh, Sam Stearns. Uh, he True. is so dedicated uh, to Bell Smith Springs. I'm glad to serve on the board there. But thank all of you for what you do and for your protection of this national treasure, the Shawnee um, Forest. If you haven't been, um, you must go. It's a healer. Uh, that's for sure. The Just being with the trees. Um, we are out of time, though. So I'll have to go. I'd like to thank all 
all of uh, today's guests. And I'd like to thank our board op for today and our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas. Please stay tuned for Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air tomorrow. We'll be doing our Earth Watch, our Earth Minute. This is Earth Week. Uh, so keep that in mind uh, with Earth Day this coming Friday. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott, and you'll please remember to stay safe. Talking about my freedom.